0: Um, we've been in this Christmas moment series which is kind of looking at the different images and phrases and things that make up the background of Christmas for us and this week I'm going to be talking about angels. Um, it's a tough subject because angels is one of these things that either churches seem to ignore completely or else they really go down weird uh, rabbit holes with them. So we're going to try to stay on a biblical look at angels and what we know about them, what we kind of infer about angels and, and why they are who they are and why they're created, those kind of things. So this, uh, from the Christmas story standpoint, this is one of the 256 times that angels are mentioned in the Bible. Most of them, by the way, like 56 of those are in Revelation. But an angel of the Lord appeared to them, in the are talking about the, the, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. By the way, almost always the way people responded to angels, angels scaring people witless for 4,000 years. Like every time people, angels show up, people are scared to death. Um, but anyway, so, oh, this just worked. Cool. And uh, continuing on, they said, Do not be afraid, bring, uh, because I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So they showed up, uh, and so this has become a big part of our Christmas. We just sang, you know, the glory in the highest. uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing is a very famous song for me and my family. It starts Christmas. Uh, So this idea that angels appearing to the shepherds and singing these songs are part of Christmas, but apparently there are some grinches out there in uh, some of the churches that when you talk about angels singing, they kind of go all, you know, I'd rather just Sing. Stop that, stop that. You're not going into a song while I'm here. Yeah, there are some preachers who will tell you that angels don't sing. I actually saw about five different sermons on this. Why you would do a sermon on angels not singing, I don't know. But there are some uh, pretty famous preachers who preach these sermons, angels don't sing. And what they're using uh, for that is this text that goes on in, in Luke. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This word here, saying, not singing, saying. They're actually right if you look at this word, you take a look at at the etymology of the word here in Greek, it is saying, it is not singing, it is saying. And so based on this, they preached a whole sermon, the angels don't sing. I have no idea why they would say that. For one thing, it's impossible for me to believe that a Siberian husky can sing, but not an angel. And I've heard Siberian huskies sing. So I'm like, I don't know if I can believe that. Plus the fact, if you look back in the verse, it's a little bit before that, that word praising, if you translate that and do an etymology of it in Greek, that means singing. It's singing and praising. So I I think what this verse is saying is they were singing and praising, and the words of their song said is what I think this this really translates. But um, I don't know, if you want to believe angels can't sing, I guess you can go ahead and do it. I'm not going to spend any more time on that. So what do we know about angels, and what can we what can we infer from the Scripture? Uh, and I think it's important for some of this. Now, some of this is just kind of interesting information, or I hope you find it interesting. Some of it I think is really important that you get, because as Christians we should know this. Um, first of all, let me put it this way. Angels are a different species than we are. They were not created at the same time we were created. They are created before we we're created. And if you look in the book of Job, we see this where Job, uh, God comes to Job to talk to him and God says this, were you there when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you know, when the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted with joy. So God is challenging Job and says, were you there at the beginning when I did this? Well, no man was there at the beginning because when he's saying he was laying the earth's foundation, that'd be about day two or three of creation. Man won't come by until day six. So, you know, this is just obviously uh, no one was there. And then Nehemiah, there's this. It says, for you, the Lord, you alone, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all of their host, and the host of heaven worships you. Now, there is this host of heaven phrase you'll see. That doesn't, that doesn't mean only angels. There is a host of heavens. There's a lot of beings in heaven. <clears throat> It's, it's the cough job, I swear. There's a lot of beings in heaven that uh, are not angels, but angels are in heaven. And so God created angels, and he created them to live in heaven. We, we see that then man comes by later. Get rid of this thing. All right, there was an evening, and there was morning of the fifth day. Then on the sixth day, God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle, creeping things, beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. That's when we're going to come along. We're going to come along after that part. But we're always told that God says, create after your kind. In other words, you have a species, and your species will create more of that species. A dog creates dogs. You know, birds create birds. They, they, they beget after their kind. Angels weren't born during this time. They're born during the second or third day. They're not part of our kind. And the reason why that's important is that that means that humans are not angels and humans do not become angels. So let me just kind of correct some theology that you'll see on Facebook with that one. Because you'll see somebody dies and someone's trying to trying to you know give them some comfort. Oh, God has another angel in heaven. No, he doesn't. Humans do not become angels. There are different species. Species begat after their own species. I love Frank Capra. I love Frank Capra movies. It's a Wonderful Life, not my favorite Frank Capra movie, but his theology sucks because you do not have Clarence becoming an angel by helping out Jimmy Stewart. By the way, if you if you really want to have fun, watch uh, It's a Wonderful Life with a Ukrainian sometime. Uh, she was sitting there the whole time, why is this guy whining? The wife's doing all the work, you know what? I said, well, that's America, honey, you know? Welcome to America. So anyway, but, that, but that's just like one thing you'll see. It's absolutely not true. The other thing is that's not true is, I'm going to try to be delicate here because I know we have the young people with us, but uh, angels don't get together with humans and procreate because they're different species. There is some teaching that says that uh, the giants were created by angels getting together uh, with the children of um, Abel and creating Giants, and that's not true. Angels and humans don't reproduce. There's also an awful lot of uh, horror movies that start with demons spawn babies and Satan. You know, that's not true either because all the demons were once angels. They're different species. There's different species. They don't, they don't uh, get together with humans. The other thing is that it's very possible, uh, we don't know this, but it's absolutely very possible that angels don't procreate at all there really be no reason to. Um, the same angels that show up in Genesis show up in the book of Revelation. They're named, so we know. Michael shows up several times throughout the Bible. He never ages. He's still there, thousands and thousands. Of, in fact, Revelation hasn't happened yet, so he's still going to be showing up in Revelation, and he hasn't aged. So it appears as though angels don't age. You don't have this baby angel growing up into a, I mean, you know, I know it's like killing Valentine's Day here for you. Little tiny babies floating around with wings. No, that doesn't happen because we don't have any sense that angels grow up. They're just already created by God, already done. And there doesn't seem to be anything in the Bible that indicates the number of angels is growing or shrinking. It seems as though God created angels when he created earth and he and he created them to to assist him not in the creation but in the running of earth. He sends them on errands. You know, they're his they're his agents. They 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 perform his will and it seems like he created them to help him manage things and uh there doesn't seem to be any need for him to create more. You know, God's still in charge and he still has everything under control and so there's really no need to have more angels. We see uh in the Bible in Revelation we get this little uh, glimpse that, uh, that what happens with the fall of Satan, and that's just told through through imagery here. Another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, that symbolizes Satan. Having seven heads and 10 horns, that symbolizes a very bad dream. Uh, and on his head were seven diadems, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth. What this is saying here is symbolically is when Satan went, he took a third of the angels with him. These are what we know as demons. There doesn't seem to be demons multiplying. There doesn't seem to be demons shrinking. There seem to be demons, and there's a lot of them. I mean, God created a lot of these, um, but <coughs> excuse me, uh, He did not, or doesn't seem to have them given the ability to procreate and to expand their, um <coughs> excuse me, expand their number. There is um, a scripture I don't have on my on my list here. Excuse me, sorry. Um, but there's a scripture where God talks about creating hell after this happens. And then later he enlarges hell. Not because more demons come along, but because humans start falling. the demons. And so he enlarges hell to include a space for humans as well. But there's no talk ever about him needing to enlarge hell because demons are multiplying. So there doesn't seem to be any way of doing that. Um, one other thing that we need to understand is they were not made in God's image. I don't know fully what this means, but we see when God creates us, he says, let us make man in our image. He's speaking to the Holy Spirit and Jesus who are all there at the creation and everything's created through them. That's how we know they're talking to just God, the Trinity. He said, let us create somebody in our image. Now this is on day six, angels were created day two or three, which means they weren't created in the image of God. God has a plan for you that he doesn't have for the angels. You are more precious to him than the angels. He literally put some of his DNA in you so you can belong to his family. There's nothing in the Bible that tells us the angels can do that in any way. There seem to be many types of angels, which just makes sense. I don't know if you've noticed, but our God loves variety. I mean, take a look at some of the birds or or fish they're so weird, you know, some of these things you see. Why would God create a hammerhead shark just to show he can? I'm not sure. It's a weird-looking fish, right? Jellyfish and all these different birds, these different kind of things and these different colors. And God seems to love variety. Look at us. You know, we're all different. He loves us all in his family, like, all of us weirdos. He likes them all. God loves variety, so it seems very likely that there's more types of angels than we know. But we see a few, and I was going to talk about three that have been discussed in scriptures that we see. One's a seraphim. Now, this seraphim is one of the fiery wings. When uh, the angel comes to take Elijah back up to heaven and the fiery chariot and stuff and the fiery wings, that's a seraphim. So the fiery winged angel is a seraphim. The cherubim is like that with no fire. Cherubims are not little babies floating around with wings. Sorry, if you look at some of the early uh, some of the early drawings and things in, in the Old Testament, uh, they're kind of scarier looking than that. You know, they're they're bigger and stronger, and the the cherubims. But there also seems to be a messenger angel that God created that looks human. Now it's possible that God could take a cherubim and make him look human and then bring him back as a cherubim, uh, but I don't think so. God being God, I think he just created the variety, right? There are certain angels that are so human-like in appearance that God can send them to earth to, do, to deliver a message, to do his bidding, and leave. And we never know that's who it was. We see this in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 13.2. Don't forget to entertain strangers, he says, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. So actually, you've taken care of some angels before. You, you, you may have stopped and helped somebody on the side of the road. That person may not have even been a person that may have been an angel. Uh, you've, you may have reached out to somebody and showed them kindness, and that was just you actually were helping an angel because yes, that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. So there are angels that come to earth and give messages sometime who aren't, and this happens a lot in the Old Testament, who look human, and it isn't until later that the person realized they were dealing with an angel. So um, anyway, that's, there's that. The other thing is that angels are immensely powerful. We can't even describe the power that's that angels have they're very very powerful creatures uh, one of my uh, there's a bunch of places in the Bible the Bible cracks me up one of them is Joshua now let me set the stage here for you so Joshua I want you to put you in his shoes for a second or his sandals uh, Joshua is just a guy right uh, he grew up and he became a servant to Moses He kind of Moses right hand guy and Moses was I think, inarguably, the greatest civil leader of all time. I don't think there's ever been a leader like Moses. If you think of what, what he accomplished, it's astounding. You know, He wrote the first five books of the Bible. He established a law. He brought the Israelites out of uh, bondage. Uh, he took them through the wilderness. He, you know, he brought law to a whole nation. It's just incredible what Moses did. Amazing, amazing man. In fact, God himself said, there's no one like Moses. There's no one like Moses uh, I speak to Moses plainly, face to face. There's never another like him. Moses was special. Joshua gets to follow Moses. Can you imagine? You, know, you have to follow this. And uh, Moses goes all the way to the promised land, but not into it. God tells Moses, you won't be able to enter the promised land. I used to think that that was punishment. Now I think God was letting him off the hook. I think Moses went, whew, thank God. Great, when can I go home? You know, because if you look at what he had to put up with with these Israelites for 40 years, he was probably like, "Yeah, thank God, I don't have to do it anymore." He hands his mantle over to Joshua, and Joshua, this kid—well, he's not a kid anymore—but um, never been a leader, not a civil leader, not a not a soldier, never been anything except Moses' right hand man. Here, you do it. He hands him off to them. The very first thing Joshua has to do, and this is all he has to do is defeat a city that's never been defeated in history. The city of Jericho is famous for its walls because no marauding army had ever conquered Jericho. So here's the mantle, Joshua. Good luck. You're going to take the promised land. The first thing you're going to do is take down this city that's never been beaten. I'm out. <laughs> and deuces. Moses is out. And literally, he like walks away, and they don't even find his body. He's gone. God just takes him back. So here's poor Joshua, and he gives this big rah-rah speech to Israel. We're going to take Jericho tomorrow. We're going to cross that Jordan River. We're going to go there. We're going to take Jericho. And everybody's, yeah, cheering tomorrow, right? But the night before, we find Joshua sneaking down, because they're on the top of a hill. They're sneaking down to where the Jordan River is, and there's a ravine up the other side. He goes down there and looks up the hill at this unconquerable city. (laughs) Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what's going through Joshua's mind. But I'm pretty sure he's thinking, man, what am I going to do? How in the world? And I think he's praying hard, like, God, you're going to have to show me something because I have no idea how I'm supposed to take that. I'm not a fighter. What are you doing? I have no idea how to do that. I think he's sitting there praying, God, send me a sign, send me something, send me a leader, send me a map, you know, whatever it takes. I don't know. It sounded really good up there when I was talking to the troops and everything. They are all with me. But down here in the Lonely Valley, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if you've ever been there for the Lord, but I have, and it's a scary place to be. Yeah, it sounded good. I said all the right things, but now I don't know how I'm going to do that. I'm getting a little bit nervous. God, can you help me out here? And he's going to look up, and he's going to see, like, this magnificent soldier. And it comes about when he was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said, Are you for us or are you for them? That's a good question to ask, right? Because here he is praying, probably crying out to the Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he looks up, and there's a guy there with a sword. If this is somebody from Jericho, he's done. Uh, And he's like, oh, man. And he's like this huge guy this big sword. He's like, oh, boy. I sure hope he's on our side, you know? And if he is on our side, this is like an answer to my prayer. I can go up and like, God sent me the warrior. You know, Conan the barbarian was sent here to help us fight. He's like this huge warrior. So he goes up to him, he says, are you for us? Are you for them? Now this guy is actually an angel and I love the angel's response because this is like typical of heaven to respond this way. Hey, uh, are you for us? Are you for them? And the angel said, no, <laughs> no, I'm not for you. And I'm not for them. In fact, he says, I'm the captain of the host of the Lord. I'm for the Lord, he says. That's one more. And I'm I'm not sitting here as part of your army or their army. I am for the Lord. Now, I think there's actually a lesson here for us, kind of in the middle of the sermon. There's a little mini sermon here because this is what we need to learn. In fact, we sing a song here. Chris Tomlin wrote it, God of Angel Armies. It's a cute song, not my fave. It's a cute song. But it has some really bad theology in the end of it because the end of it says, The God of angels' army, God of angel armies is always on my side. Let's hope not. We're supposed to be on the side of the God of angel armies. Until we get that understood, uh, we're never going to conquer Jericho in our life. We have to realize we're on God's side. That's where we need to be. Joshua, you don't need to know what to do. What you need to know is who you do it with. You need to know I'm on your side. And, that, and they, I love this angel. It's like, it's like, no, no, I'm not on your side. Are you going to join my side? I'm the captain of, of, of the host of the arm, army of, of heaven. Are you going to join my side? How about that? How about you join my side? And then he falls on the earth and bows, says, what do you need me to do? Joshua gets it. Okay, whoa, that's all right. That's better. What do you want me to do? You're in charge here. And I never realized this until now, but that's how the walls came down. I always wondered about that. You know, they march around the walls for six days, and then on the seventh day, they shout, and they fall down. Well, I believe what happens is the army of the angel moves forward. He does wait for six days. They hear the sound. That's our, that's our cue, guys. Get out your swords. Let's knock down these walls. Boom. They come down, and then the Israelites just go in and, and clean up. So the army of the, of the Lord actually brings down the walls. Okay. Uh, then we also see in Isaiah, uh, this, and this also shows up in, in the book of Kings, um, that at one point in time, the Israelites are surrounded by the Assyrian army, and they're done. The Assyrian army has, has, has penned them in. They're surrounded. There's no way out. They cry out to the Lord, and the Lord answers with one angel. I love that, one angel. God says, oh, they got a problem. Let me, let me dispatch one angel, not even my best. I want a, a recruit. Give me the trainee. I'll send him down. And, it, and so the angel of the Lord went out and struck a hundred. And 85,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the Israelites arose early the next morning, behold, they were all dead. Now, I don't mean to <laughs> prolong this too much, but do you know how long it takes to swing a sword 185,000 times? That angel must have been exhausted. No wonder they sent him off at night. Just sitting there, you know, killing these people took all night. 185,000 swings of the sword. He must have gone back to heaven and gone, whew, I won't need to work upper body for a while. I think I'll work on my legs because I got a good work. I have my left hand going, I have my right hand going. 185,000 of them it took them all night to kill them. One angel. This is power that we can't even begin to understand the power the angels have. Okay, this is really, really important. You have absolutely no authority over the angels. None. They answer to God. We see this in Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you. But, it, but doesn't God give us guardian angels? He can. But that angel doesn't report to you. He guards you. And that angel is obeying the Lord. God commands his army, not you. There's a bunch of bad theology. That talks about how you can pray to angels and get them to do your bidding. I almost wish it were true because angels are really good at doing stuff. You know, <laughs> you can leave your sword at home, but there's some people I want you to go visit for me. If you guess, there's a couple people, angel, I like to just go have a talk to. That's all I need. You don't have to kill anybody. Just show up. You know, but but we don't get to do that. You know, we can. When you're done with that, can you paint my house or can you clean my car? You need, they're not your lackeys, right? They're they're soldiers of the Lord. They're they're messengers of the Lord. They're agents of the Lord, and they follow His commands. We have no authority over them. Here's something that's going to step on some toes, but listen to me, because I believe I have the scripture on this. Even when an angel leaves heaven and follows Satan to earth, this holds true. You have no authority. Let me say this carefully. You have no authority over demons. None. And the scripture actually tells us that. In fact, in the book of Jude... Jude, who some believe was actually a brother of Jesus, because he was brother of James, who was a brother of Jesus, uh, he says this. He says, uh, the, he's talking about a bunch of people who are giving them all kind of bad theology. He says, these people are ungodly and they pollute their own bodies and revile against angelic majesties. See, revile against angelic majesties. He's including everything who was angelic. He says, these spiritual beings, they're trying to revile them. They're trying to, they're trying to mock them. They're trying to say that they, they, they're, they're, you know, whatever mock them fat skinny whatever they want to call them they're they're trying to say that they're they're nothing they're not he says even michael the archangel and if there's a person by the way who's equal to satan it's michael there's a problem with theology sometimes in america where we try to turn everything into i don't know why buddhism like buddhism has crept into the church i don't know if you've noticed that you ever see the yin yang symbol uh, you know, the, the little tiny squirrely thing, and it has a white blob on this side and a black blob on this side. And inside the black blob, there's a little tiny white, and inside the white, there's a little black. It's called a yin-yang symbol. Not yins, yin, yin-yang, right? What that is, is it, it's a Buddhism construct that says good and, good and evil is equal in the world. And, and it's, it's your job as being part of the good to do good things so we keep the good side strong. But we'll never get rid of evil because we're supposed to reach a balance. That's what Buddhism believes. That's what karma is all about. You put good karma out there because it counteracts the bad karma. That's, that's Buddhism. And everything in good it has a counter in evil. And everything in evil is a counter in good. And that's what Buddhism teaches. And that's crept in the church because you'll meet Christians who, if you say, hey, who's the opposite of God? They'll say Satan. No, he's not. Satan is not God's opposite. Satan's Michael's opposite. You can't compare the power of Satan with the power of God. Satan was created. God was not. Yeah, you know, Satan may be powerful because he's everlasting, but your God's everlasting to everlasting. He's just a whole level higher and more powerful than any demon. You can't compare Satan to God. They don't compare. Satan compares to Michael. And Jews saying, when Michael faced off, against satan he himself with the dispute didn't even pronounce judgment against him but he said the lord rebuke you he said even michael had respect for the demon he said the lord will rebu- re- will rebuke you not me i'm not going to fight with you i know who really is in charge and you do too so i'm not going to rebuke you the lord will rebuke you but wait a minute doesn't it say in the bible that in jesus name we have power over demons It does say that, in fact. We see him when he sends out the 72. They come back to him and says, Look, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He sent out 72 disciples. They cast out demons. They healed people. They spread the gospel. They came back and says, It was amazing. We were walking around and even the demons were responding to us. We were casting out demons. And Jesus says, Yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I watched the damage you did to the kingdom of hell. He says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. That is snakes and scorpions is symbolic of the demons and Satan and to overcome all the power of the enemy. He says, nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice to the spirit submitted to you, but rejoice in the name that your names are written into heaven. What we have to understand though is what in Jesus name means. See, I grew up believing that's just simply how you ended your prayers, right? That's my sign off. You like, remember, uh, remember the old CB days, some of you? The CB days, everybody was on CB talking, right? Yeah. yeah, 10 more, good buddy. I'm out, over and out. That's a little over and out, I'm out. I'm done, I'm out. I'm done talking to you right now. Uh, that's what I thought in, in Jesus' name was for prayer. That's how God knew I'd stop talking to him. In Jesus' name, Amen. It's got tacked on. To this day, I end my prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Because that's why I thought you always got to ask in Jesus' name. That's what it means. You say in Jesus' name. Amen. That's how how you end your prayer, right? That's not what in Jesus' name means. I still do it. You can go ahead and end your prayers that way. There's nothing wrong with any of your prayers that way. Just understand that doesn't make it in Jesus' name. Because what Jesus is speaking about is something we don't fully understand in this country. Because we've never lived under a king who had ultimate authority over us. When Jesus was speaking, though, and he was talking to them, they surely knew what he meant when he says, in my name, because they understood what that meant. We see that in Nehemiah. When Nehemiah goes back to, to build the wall of Jerusalem, before he leaves, he tells the high king of Persia, can you give me a letter with your symbol on it that I can use to show people I come in your name? And the king does. And every time someone tries to stop him, he whips out this letter and says, okay, the king of Persia is behind me. You sure you want to oppose me right now? And people would back down because they weren't willing to oppose the king of Persia. Nehemiah may have been a pipsqueak, but, the, but Xerxes, the king of Persia, was not a pipsqueak. That's what in Jesus' name means because you're, you're doing business with the king. Let me give you a modern-day example of this. This might seem weird, but suppose we were a monarchy. Suppose a king ruled our land, and he had absolute authority. It never happened here, but suppose he did. And for some reason, he was here give him a little speech or something. And he came to me and said, I need you to go deliver a message to my wife who's in Breezewood, Pennsylvania. I'm going to give you a letter, take it to her. It's really important she gets this letter. I don't trust text messages for this letter. He gives it to me sealed. And then he gives me another seal that I'm operating on the King of the United States. I'm operating under his authority. I get my little Jeep and I take off across the turnpike, you know, and I'm going along. I get to Somerset and they got a you know, some kind of a blockade up because they're trying to catch drug dealers or something. And I come up there and they've got all the trucks and all the things up there and the lights are going. And I come up and the trooper comes to my, my windows. So you need to turn around and go back. You can't get through. And I say, I can't, I have to. I'm, I'm coming on the king's business. He looks at that and says, yeah, I'm not going to let you through. I'm sorry, nobody goes through here. I literally could look at the trooper next to him and say, would you please shoot him for treason? Because he is opposing me and I am in the king's name. And that means he's just committed treason against the nation. Literally, that's what it means. So when you're coming in the king's name, you're coming with the king's authority. The king has sent me to do a task, and he has given me his stamp of approval. I am in his name, and I have the authority to do that task. So you better believe the demons are getting out of my way, because they know who's in charge. That's what in Jesus' name means. If you try to do this without Jesus' name, you can kind of be successful possibly for a moment, but eventually it catches up to you because eventually you will run into a demon who knows his rights. We see this actually happen in the book of Acts. Um, some Jews were running around driving out evil spirits. So they were like, you know, this is cool. The disciples are doing it. We'll do it. Oh, they, they invoke the name of Jesus. Cool. We'll do that too because that really makes us look important. So they would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And it was working. This is amazing. They were literally going around saying, in the name of Jesus, they have no idea who Jesus is. In fact, they even say, whom Paul preaches. And I don't know who it is, but Paul does. Who, that Jesus, in his name, you come out of there right now. And it was working. Because some spirits, they hear the name of Jesus. Okay, I'm out. You know, I thought it was good here, but never mind. Jesus said, okay, I'm out. But eventually, they come across a guy, the demon been around a while. And he understood his rights. And he heard the name Jesus, but it didn't scare him because he looked at them and says this, Jesus I know, Paul I know about, who are you? (laughs) Just like, very good question. Who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit in him jumped on them, overpowered all seven of them. He beat them to with an inch of their lives. (laughs) They ran out of there naked and bleeding. He beat the snot out of seven of them because he knew his rights. They didn't come in Jesus' name. They're trying to invoke a relationship with a God they didn't know. If you're going in Jesus' name, you have the authority Jesus gives you. And if you don't, good luck to you. Because you're trying to do something. You've stepped into something you have no idea what you've stepped into. I get so tired of hearing these preachers talk about, ah, oh, just, you know, stamp on the devil. He's nothing to me. Yeah? Okay. You better hope that you've got Jesus' protection. And the devil's going to stomp you back. Because they're powerful. They're powerful beings. Okay, they are powerful, but do not worship them. There's actually teaching that says, eh, it's kind of tough sometimes getting God's attention. Go to your angel instead. God has dispatched an angel to you. Use them. They'll take care of it for you. It's easier to talk to an angel than God. and They're a little more understanding. And there's all kinds of teaching about how to find out who your angel is and how to get them to do what you want. Listen, if you're talking to a spirit on earth, you're not talking to an angel or not what we'd call an angel now. You know, there may be a spirit listening to you, but you're talking on the wrong side. And Paul talks about this. This has been around forever. It's made a real big comeback now. There's this whole website on angels and the books on how to you know, communicate with angels. Stay away from all of it. It's just simply disguised occultic practice. You're not talking to angels. You're talking to demons. He says this, let no one defraud you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement. What he's saying here is you have the right to be the child of the king. Why would you let anybody take that away from you under false humility? I'm not really good enough to talk to God. I'll talk to angels. Why would you do that? The whole point is to talk to God. Why would you do this? He said, don't let anybody rob you of your prize by pretending that you're not good enough to talk to God and then worshiping angels. So why would you do that? When you have access to the high king of heaven, why would you stop with angels? Because you can't even talk to them. You're not supposed to be worshiping them. And you're, you're, and then he starts saying, visions I've seen. And this is the other thing. People, oh, angels spoke to me and they told me this. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. God sends messengers, but you can't call out to your own. You don't command angels. You don't talk to angels. You don't get to do any of these things. And if you're involved in any of those practices, they're occultic practices. They're not Christian practices. We need to understand. Okay, why well, I'm going to try to wind this down a little bit. I could talk about angels for a while, but there is no redemption plan for angels. I don't know why. Those one-third of angels that were swept away, came down with Satan, there's no way back for them. Nothing. There's no way for them to get back. You have redemption. There's a plan for you. Jesus came for you. He didn't come for the angels. He didn't. And uh, so we have to understand there's no way back. And, and in fact, Jude goes on and he says, look, I want to remind you, you know all things once and for all. The Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, destroyed all those who didn't believe. If you remember that, when they came out of Egypt, everybody who didn't believe, he destroyed them. They all died in the wilderness. Same thing with the angels. All the angels who didn't stay in their own domain, followed Satan away. There's no way out for them. He's already reserved their place in hell. That's it. That's it. They got one shot, they disobeyed, they're done. Your place in God's heart is much higher than that. In fact, in Corinthians, Paul says something astonishing. He says, look, do you not know that saints will judge the world? He's trying to tell people, don't sue each other. It's stupid for Christians to sue Christians. Just go to the church, have the church decides what he's saying. If the world's judged by you, aren't you competent enough to constitute the little things? Do you not know that we will judge angels? I don't even know what that looks like. I don't know whether he's saying we're going to judge the demons. Like, you know, God's going to call us up. Hey, this demon was pesting you. Let me show you what was going on in your life. Do you want to pass judgment on him? I don't know if that's what's going to be. I don't know. But he's saying you or you're us are going to judge angels. You're higher than the angels. Now, I know that there's a scripture that says we're below the angels. I'm going to show you that one. That's in Psalms 8.5. I love this psalm. This this is the same way I feel. The psalmist and I are right on right on the same page here. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you set in place, what's mankind that you even care about them? You know, when I think about how well the angels do their job, why did God even come after us? Because we're not so good. I don't know if you've noticed, we're not so good at doing God's work. The angels are really good at it. Why do you even care about us? That's what the psalmist is saying here. Why do you even care? You made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Here's what I don't understand. And if you look, like 90% of the Bibles will translate this scripture this way. You made them a little lower than the angels. Who's saying we're a little lower than the angels. That word here, angels, is translated one time in the entire Old Testament as angels, right here. It is translated 2,346 times as God, Elohim. This is actually God plural. This is meaning, this is this is like when when God creates the heaven and earth, the word uses the same one, Elohim. This is the word that Jews use to say all gods are present. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're all there. It's God's plural name. Why this gets translated in our Bibles as angels is beyond me. It's the only time it ever gets translated as angels. I believe it is supposed to be translated as God, which makes a whole lot more sense with everything else we have. He... Placed them a little lower than himself. He's our dad; we're his kids. That makes sense to me. This scripture makes no sense at all when you put the, but Paul saying we're going to we're, we're going to judge angels. I just really think it's a mistranslation. It's like in almost every translation, though. All right, let me. I want to finish up with this, but we're coming back to Christmas here for a second. <clears throat> I want you to think about one thing you've ever wished for that you didn't get, and it could be Christmas. You know. I don't know, Red Rider BB gun or whatever it was in the Christmas story. Uh, something that you wanted for Christmas you didn't get. As you get older, those, those wants get bigger. I wanted that car, didn't get it or whatever. What is there? For you Take it away from Christmas for a second. What's the one thing in your life that you've wanted and never got? Maybe you never will get, you know? Maybe it's you never got the wedding you wanted. Maybe it's you never got the husband or the wife that you wanted or a child. The home, the job. What's that one thing that kind of sticks a little bit? And you try to ask God to take it away from you. But really, honestly, in the, in, the, in the quiet of your night, you still want it. And sometimes you even grieve a little bit that you're not going to get it. Maybe you lost somebody that was really close to you, and you love to have them back. And you know you're not going to get them back. But boy, just like, like you know, one time. I have a couple times I thought about my dad who died the Christmas... Christmas, the the year we opened Spirit Chapel. Man, I never got a chance to really talk to him about Spirit Chapel. He's a pastor his whole life. Never got a chance to talk to him. My grandfather would have loved Victoria. He would have just been so, he loved culture, all different cultures. To to know that I had Ukrainian-Russian culture living in my house, oh, my grandfather would have been over the moon. I'd love to have seen that. What is there in your life that you have desired and you maybe still do desire because there's one thing that I've always wanted but I've never gotten. It could be trivial, it could be something really a heart's long. I'm not gonna ask you for them. This is something private for you. Angels have something like that that they have longed for for thousands of years and they're never gonna get, ever. So that longing that you feel in your heart, they feel it every day. We see this in Peter. He says this, this salvation, this, this salvation. He says, it's a grace that would come. The the prophets who used to talk about it, Isaiah and the psalmist and Ezekiel, the prophets who used to talk about this salvation, they wondered where it was coming from. When was it going to happen? And it was revealed to them that it wouldn't be in their lifetime. They they would never see that, but you have. He's saying, you saw it in your lifetime. Jesus came in our lifetime. He lived, he taught, he was crucified, he raised again. He's offering salvation. It's our lifetime. He says it happened in our lifetime. All the prophets from the Old Testament wanted this. They didn't get to see it, but we have. It's been announced to us. It's been preached to us. And then it ends with this: these things the angels long to look into. And that word longing there, I've I've talked about this before, In this word there actually is normally translated to have a strong desire for even to the point of lusting and coveting. When Jesus says, do not lust after another woman, that's the word he uses. What Peter's saying here is that these angels look at our salvation story and they have a longing there. They covet. They wish they could have that for themselves, but they can't. They're obedient servants to God. They've been in heaven with God their whole lives, thousands of years. But what they really wish is that they could join God's family, and they can't. But you can. We get this. And yet, we have a way of just kind of, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. No, the angels long to have the connection Jesus, but we're giving it for free. Yeah, okay. That's nice, but what I really want is that new car. <laughs> what I really want is that job. What I really want is fill in the blank. Whatever it is. Yeah, salvation is nice, but what I really want. And you saying angels who've been around forever want what you have. And we just take it for granted. I want to and with back where we started here in Luke 2, because the very end of that verse I found interesting. The angels, whether they came singing it or saying it, at the end of the time they said, peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. That's you. Angels even there are saying, glory to God, because he came for you guys. You have no idea how much we want that. When I was a kid, I used to think that this whole thing was like a choir production, like I was involved in. I don't know if any of you guys did that. Uh, we were made to do that in school. We had to go to these little choir. We had to be part of the choral uh, for the Christmas thing pageant. The parents would come. Hated it. We're all stuck there, you know, together, sweating. Um, you know, and there's this person up there trying to get us to sing on cue and things. Okay, the sopranos, pay attention. You know, you're starting us off here. We better hear some more bass. where you guys better sing. You know, and I hated it. I really did. I hate singing in a choir. And I got there on uh, trying not to sweat too bad, you know. I'm always on the back because I was tall. You know, I said, You get in the back, okay? You know, got in the back. I hated it. Hated it. So I always pictured this. You know, some big production. Okay, hey everybody, pay attention now. Jesus is being born. Okay, the curtain's going to go back any minute now. We got to be on our mark. Let's go, sopranos, get ready. You know, that's not at all what happened, though. That's not what happened. Actually, what happened is the angels just let themselves express what they naturally felt. The angels didn't sing because they were commanded to. The angels sang because they weren't told not to. This was the natural response from heaven to what Jesus did for us. How can we take that for granted? Why do we take that for granted? Jesus Christ came to make you part of God's family. And the angels are jealous of that. Would you all please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll give us a better picture of what you've done for us.